Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. So Pastor Josh uh, is going to be speaking this morning. We were gone this week, and I, and I asked him if he'd uh, fill in the gap. And uh, he shared some of the stuff that God's laid on his heart for this week. And I really believe this is an on-time word for where God has us right now. So I want you guys to lean in and uh, take notes. If that's what you do, we're excited about what he has. So give it up for Pastor Josh this morning. He's doing everything. It would be weird if Pastor Brent was like, he told me what he had to speak on, and it wasn't very good. So... I don't think he'd say that. (laughs) Uh, He'll let me know in after. Um, I know we didn't say it earlier, but I think I'd be remiss if uh, I didn't do something that this person would absolutely hate, and I'm going to get so much hate later for, but earlier this week, it was Jess's birthday as well, and I'm going to count to three, and if everybody just says, we love you, Jess, one, two, three, we love you, Jess. It's my favorite thing to do. There, there are a couple things, if you know me, um, that's my favorite thing to do is make people feel uncomfortable. Um, uh, what's that? Yeah, I know. She gets a taste of her own medicine. <laughs> oh, she, yeah, I know. It's all good. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm really sad. I was... Uh, my wife, she she couldn't be here this morning with our kids. Mackenzie um, had a fever last night and was very ill, and uh, so it was really hard for her. And she was just, I'm so I wish I could be there. But you know, it's amazing when you have family that supports you and all that you do. And I I know this, and I know Brass, Pastor Brent would say the same about Jen and the girls is is when you're a family and you're a unit and you can go to that place where honestly nobody else goes with you, and they see your life inside and outside of the church and they support you and run with you. There's no greater joy, there's no greater honor than to honor them that run with you. And uh, it's hard when you deal with the everyday life and you try to bring everyday life and we try to bring it into what we consider Christian life. And I, and I think it's because we've kind of got it backwards. <laughs> we try to take Christian life and we try to separate it from our, our everyday life. Josh, the scripture you said, Romans 12, that's my life verse. And so Josh and Josh, it works out, right? Um, it's my life verse because the, the word says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and the reality is, is so many times we try to conform our Christianity to our life. We try to fit Christianity into our life instead of having our life transformed into Christ. And I think so many times we think of things like, oh no, I have to get back to, how many of you say this, I got to get back to reality, I'm going to work tomorrow. (laughs) What if this is reality? And that's just something that gives you an opportunity to bring reality to. Um. I, I was just thinking when Josh was speaking, there's no greater, and no, this isn't here. I know we got to get to lunch, but bear with me this morning. There's no greater opportunity than to have somebody that speaks into the next generation in a world that says people have to stop speaking to the next generation unless it agrees with me. There should be no greater excitement than to have somebody in your midst that says, I don't care that when I go into a public school that I get those looks like, you shouldn't be here, and I'm still there. Like, really? Like, they're so afraid of Jesus 
because it's offensive to this age and this culture. And yet we pander to the offense. But when you have men and women like Josh that says, my life was changed beyond this offense and these kids need it. Because if they're not careful, these sports become their God and it destroys their life and it destroyed my life and I'm going to bring them to the person that's going to give them life. Your kids that are in public schools, they need people like Josh. Because he's not lying when he says coaches talk more to your kids than you do. And here's the other thing. They listen to the coaches more than they listen to you. I'm just being honest. Why? I, I, I love you with all my heart. But the reason why they listen to their coaches is because they believe what their coaches says is real. But when you say you love Jesus and they never see you pray... I don't know how much more we can tell our kids to serve a God that we only serve on Sunday morning. I, our kids, the next generation, our kids' kids, this is why we do what we do. This isn't the prophecies and the purpose of revival is not for even just now, but it's for the generations. If I give my life so my daughters can step on my back to be that much closer to Jesus, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. How many of you are that hungry this morning? Wow. No, Casey, not McDonald's hungry. Last week was interesting. I I was going to make a joke last week, but I didn't because... It's joking, but it's not. But I've never heard so much cheering come from this church when we said that the Patriots weren't in the Super Bowl. And I thought, I was like, wow, if we cheered that much for Jesus, then he is in the room versus somebody who's not even in the room. What does the Patriots have on your life except a good time once in a while? And Jesus transforms everything. Revival's happening here. Whether you see it, or not, it's happening. It's happening in the individuals that are saying yes every single day. It's happening in the individuals that say, I don't care what I'm going through. I'm taking a step closer today. It's happening in those that are picking up this, this, this word and not looking at it as a bunch of words in a book that have some intellectual, that needs some person that has a degree in theology to dispose revelation out of this book. And they said, I am this book. And I'm a part of this book. And I'm a part of this story. And I'm the next chapter, as I told our leaders this morning. This culture says no when Jesus says yes. Revival's here. I believe God is rewriting our culture here at Encounter in the body of Christ if we're willing what are, what are you saying? I'm saying, when I asked if you were hungry and crickets were heard, it's because every single one of you knew when you walked into this place, I would say the majority, that what was going to happen today was somebody, probably Josh, was going to get up and sing some songs. There may or may not have been an offering, and then somebody was going to come give a word and speak, and then you were going to get to go home and start your real life again. 
Hunger says, I'm breaking out of some boxes as we've been talking about. That real worship happens when we don't have to have a speaker come up and save the day. That real worship happens when we sing holy for three hours and nobody leaves. Uh, uh, Revival begins to burn in our hearts when Jesus becomes the focus and not just an idea that we believe in. Our culture's being changed for this. I believe God is rewriting us to be Jesus is our only strategy and don't have a plan B. Jesus is our vision. Jesus is our mission statement. Jesus is so central to everything. And as Bobby D would say, just Jesus. Do you want to have a life-giving church? Just Jesus. Do you want to love one another? Just Jesus. Do you want to change the community? Just Jesus. That's it. We don't have to write seven points of what we're going to do. We don't have to write all these things around it. When you get Jesus involved, he does it. We say this over and over and over again because it's true that he says, I will draw all men unto myself. So let's go after him and let him do it. Jesus is our vision. I thought I told Brent this morning I was just going to talk a couple of things that he was saying, and I had so much more. God, help me put this all together. Lord, I thank you this morning, as I haven't even jumped into what your heart has been speaking to my spirit, revolving around abiding. But God, I don't want to just have another revelatory TED talk this morning. God, I don't want to just have another speech of words and more words and words and more words, God. I want your presence to be in this place, that people get drawn to the altar, not because of a speaker, but they get drawn to an altar where Jesus is waiting to meet with them. Lord, I pray that this place is so set on fire for you that it begins to refine our hearts to look more like you, and that we begin to glisten and glow as you do when we look into those eyes of fire. God, that your presence is so intoxicating that nothing else satisfies. And that we don't need anything else to make people want to come to a church. We don't need the gimmicks. We don't need the great music. We don't need anything else, the lights, the smoke, anything else but your presence. There's no other reason to come but you. And so, God, I submit everything that I'm about to say to you And I say, God, begin to continue to stir up in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to go through a couple points real quick before I jump into the meat. We've been talking about abiding as our theme this week. And many of us will say that we're available and we're abiding. And it comes from this idea that is birthed out of, um, excuse me, Isaiah 6-8. When God begins to speak, who will go? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And I believe we have a church of people that are willing to say, here am I, send me, but don't go. When he says, are you available? And you says, here am I, send me. And then he'll say, then do this. And our response is, here am I, send me. And God says, well, but love them. Here am I, send me. But love them. Here am I, send me. And we can't break a cycle of our words because we use words of obedience to convince ourselves that we are obedient. And, and, and this idea of I'm available and I'm abiding, we'll say that I love you, God, and in the saying I love you, God, we convince ourselves that we do. 
And in saying that I will do anything for you, God, we convince ourselves that we are. And when we come here and and our lives aren't perfect, and I love the body of Christ, and I love Jesus. Why? Because he didn't ask us to be perfect. He's already perfect. And so we can't use, and I'm going to use Josh again as an example, and I love the person that talked to him. When he was going to that college, he says, I... I'm not going to represent your college too well. And Jesus says, I didn't ask you to represent a college. I just want you. I will represent myself. I just want you. So your sin, what you're going through, your brokenness has no bearing on what he wants to do and what he will do through you. But the issue is, is that we put barriers. We put things in front of us. Why? Because the culture of the day says if we will just say something, then it is. I, God, I will do this. It's like the scripture in Matthew. Matthew verse 21, and uh, chapter 21 and verse 28, where Jesus tells a parable of the father who's talking to the sons, and the son says, yeah, I will go out to the field, and then he doesn't go. And then he says, the other son says, I will not go. And then he goes. And Jesus asked the Pharisees, who is the one that obeyed? I believe we have a church full of the first sons that are saying, I will go, but never go. And we get offended at the second sons who go because they say they won't. Because they don't look like us and they don't act like us. And they don't have the church look and the church attitude and they may cuss a word or here or there. I love when Paul is in the cell. Brent talked about last week about this place in, in Rome where Paul was in that cell that was down like this. You know, one of the things he said when he was in there and he wrote was, I hear from you, brethren, that there are those out there that you're telling me that I shouldn't trust and that they may be preaching Jesus for their own gain. And he's like, oh, well, they're preaching Jesus. This is Paul. Paul is saying they're preaching Jesus for their gain. And he goes, whether they preach Jesus for their gain or no gain or for his gain, they're preaching Jesus. Let them preach Jesus. We get so caught up on these other things than just Jesus. Abiding is about him. It's about Staying in a place of willingness, expectation. Abiding is the revival of the heart of identifying as what? Sons and daughters. Abiding is transitioning into your identity of who you are and created to be. Sons and daughters. I believe that the revival of this age will be a revival to Jesus, not Christianity. I know that's not, you're like, what? I'm serious. I believe the revival of this age is a revival to Jesus, not a religious system. I believe that the revival that's coming is going to be to a man that's burning, that he has holes in his hands and his feet, and he says, I love the unlovable, and I want to put my arms around the poor, and I want to put my arms around those that are hurting. And they don't have to transition their lives before I'll do that. I'll do it right now, and I will transform their lives this Jesus I believe that there's a revival to a kingdom not a church I believe there's a revival to a family not a social club moving from just corporate 
encounters to personal encounters. Do you know not one person can sit here and tell you if you're serving God or not? Only you can. You can come to me and tell me everything you do, and I'll sit there and I'll be like, that's awesome. But only you in your own heart can say, do I know God? Do I spend time with God? Do I want to know God? Only you can do that. When we move from a corporate encounter is, we move from the place where we project an image into that place where our heart is open to God and saying, it's just me and you, God. It's just me and you. What next? And wrestling, wrestling in this place, wrestling in this identity, wrestling in the the silence, and wrestling in the I don't know, wrestling in the things that I don't get, and into this place saying, I'd rather have a personal encounter of wrestling than no encounter at all. I'm going to fall again. I was much more graceful than last night in softball. We start by tearing down boxes. All right, I'm going to go faster. Here we go. We've been talking about the wineskins, and I want to read the scripture of the wineskins. So if you want to throw up Luke chapter 5, verse 33, and we're going to start here. Jesus, uh, actually, I'm not going to start. I'm going to just narrate verses 33, and I'll probably start in verse 36. Jesus uh, uh, is approached by disciples and Pharisees of John, and he says, why do you not, your disciples, why don't they fast? And Jesus is just like, well, and I love this. This is so great. He says, well, because the bridegroom's with them. Why would I ask them to fast when I'm with them? Can I, can I tell you something? Jesus didn't just say, because I'm with them. He says, because their identity has changed. They are now greater. When he said, the bridegroom is with them, he transitioned them from scholars and religious people into a bride. And he says, because the bridegroom is with them. He said, but there's a time coming when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then that day they will fast. Transitioning from a glory of a religious fast into this bridal identity, this kingship of a fast. What are we fasting for? For the return of our bridegroom. He says, but let me tell you this parable, verse 36. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskin. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill, and the skins will be ruined. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new because he says the old is better. I love this. No one says, after having the old wine, that they want new because the old is better. No one says that they want the new wine because the old is better. No one wants to move on to the new because they're comfortable in the old because they know what the old will give them. Every single person has this identity crisis when it comes to change. There are some people who say, I love change, I love change, I love change. But, but even in that, their change is not change. Because the most of the time, we're a people that love change as long as we can stay the same but get better. 
I want to lose weight and still eat McDonald's. I, I'm being honest. I want to eat pizza and I want to drink soda and I want to lose weight. I want the change, but I want to stay the same and get better. But we've convinced ourselves because we want it, because we say we know how, that I can tell you every single diet. If you want me to go down, I, I'm probably one of the people that can give you more knowledge on diets than anybody else here. We want change. Only if we can stay the same but get better. Yeah. As he's saying this, I'm just thinking about us as humans and how we love uh, to say yes to something. Like, it, literally, it sends endorphins to your brain to say yes to something. And so often we're in church and we say yes and we leave feeling good because we got the endorphin rush of I committed to something but never actually allowing God to do, do a transforming work on the inside. Think about it. When, you, when people get married, they say yes. It's the most exciting day. They're engaged. They get on, he gets on his knee. She says yes. Everyone cheers. Oh, my gosh, this is so amazing. But then they, never, then they realize, oh, shoot, I actually have to work on a marriage. Like... Saying yes was fun, but the same way in our relationship with God, we love to say yes. And I love that verse, again, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because what do we do? We no longer want to be conformed to the world, so we conform to what church looks like, and we're in another pattern, not transformed. We're conformed again to this church pattern of saying yes every Sunday and going out and never being transformed. I know, I know that's weird. That's so amazing. I know it's weird that Brent just jumped up here, but I love this relationship that we have. I, I, he didn't come to make my message better. We're doing this together. And, and, and it's this thing where, where it doesn't have to fit your boxes. I, I mean, doesn't it make you feel like it's a waste of time to come listen to a message and not leave the same? I mean, I could just put the microphone down and say, if you're new here, take out your slips in the back of your seat and turn them into the Welcome Center. Have a good day. And you'd be good. And everybody would be like, oh, that was a good service. He's like, he didn't even finish. The only thing that would change is Brent would get some calls and people saying, I think you should re-question uh, you're doing ministry with this guy named Josh. Maybe you shouldn't run with him. He didn't finish preaching. <laughs> Maybe I should jump there real quick. Pastors are here to love, but let me tell you something, they're not here to fix every problem that you think the church has. Just because you don't, and I'll just use me because it's great, just because you don't like me, doesn't mean Brent needs to know. If you don't like me, get on your knees and pray for me. If you don't like the worship, then worship till worship becomes worship. Yeah. I, if you don't like the culture here, then jump in and begin to be an influencer of what it should be. I, our idea of church is coming here on a Sunday morning, or if you're an actual church that loves Jesus, you come on Wednesday night too, and... Then the rest of the week, you're calling the pastor saying, what's wrong with your life, with the church, and what will make it better? Can I tell you what that is? That's fashioning something in your image. When he says, I want to transform you into my image. 
And when you have an issue with something going on in the church, it's probably an issue that's digging inside of you that God's trying to bring up. That was for free. Whew. Yeah, all right, here we go. New wineskins. I love this identity of the wineskins and what God's saying in this. It's because the old wine will always taste better because we know what it is. But can I tell you what? New wine can't become old wine until it's put in the new wineskin. It can't become better and age until it's put into the new wineskin. Why? Because new wineskin, when you put it into an old wineskin, it bursts and it spoils. When you put old wine into new wineskin, nothing happens. It just, it, nothing happens. Most of the church today doesn't even care about wine anymore. We've moved to grape juice. Because you could put grape juice in new wineskins or old wineskins, and it has zero influence. It's kind of the form of something that lacks the power of it. It looks like wine. It's good to the flavor but ain't gonna do nothing for you. We've settled our wine, the presence of God, for a grape juice, a man-made image. If you guys remember about a year ago, we showed this thing on here where if you go to the ocean and there's waves, it's always different waves. You got small ones and big ones, and, and then you always have that one wave when you're not paying attention and you're holding your daughter's hand that just knocks you over and they're crying and you're trying to fix this thing and you're like, okay. But they have these things called wave pools where they're man-made waves of the exact same wave. And you know, because you can go up and down and up and down and lull yourself to sleep on the patterns of the man-made waves. And I believe the church is so used to man-made waves that we're okay settling for grape juice and not wine. That we're okay with it. That I'm okay with it. That Josh, the guy who gets up here, has a hashtag for two years of hashtag mean Josh, is okay with grape juice. Because it's easy. It tastes good. It looks like it, but it doesn't change anything. And I could go back out those doors, go back to the House of Representatives tomorrow, and start another week. But there's a day coming and a day is now when people will walk in these doors and when they leave, they will know what the wine tastes like. Because we're not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with doing church on Sunday morning and then people still in their in their junk and their garbage and their pain and they still come to me because they don't know Jesus. And when they come in here, it's just music, word, altar. Music, word, altar. Music, word, altar. Worship, just Jesus. Worship, just Jesus. He's the one that does it all. He's the one that prophesied that there are pools of living water in this place. He's the one that prophesied that there's a swirling fire of revival that sits and rests on this house. He's the one that spoke to the dead that they will rise. And he spoke to the bones and saying they will live again. That Jesus. A couple weeks ago we were here on Sunday. Here's my shameless plugs. Sunday night corporate prayer. It's not what you think, come and get your mind blown. Because it's not what you think, 
Wednesday night, uh, last year, how many of you guys remember our 40 weeks? Bobby D, 40 weeks of prayer every single night we were here. Well, we moved when we finished that, and we moved it to every other Wednesday night when we don't have community groups. This place is open from 6 to 9 to pray. Revival happens when there are more people at prayer than on Sunday mornings, church services. But a couple weeks ago, last week or two weeks ago, I was sitting here, and God was speaking to me about something that Brent was speaking on dealing with with the harvest and dealing with these things. And all of a sudden, this word popped in my head, no reason why, but it said, fire lines. And I was like, okay, fire lines. What are you speaking fire lines? Fire lines, what are fire lines? Fire lines are those things that, that they go and they take the, uh, the big mechanical equipment and they make lines in the forest and lines in the shrub getting rid of everything that does. So why? So when there's wildfires, it contains them where they can't jump out of control. And I simply heard the Spirit when it's saying this. He says, my church have created fire lines to where they contain the fire of what they want and I can't burn out of control. He says, we want fire as long as we build fire lines. We want the burning of the Spirit as long as we can control it. Because somebody down here crying through the message is distracting. Because somebody over here dancing with a flag is distracting. Because somebody who just says Jesus, all service, is distracting. We've created fire lines. We've created fire lines where this is okay, but over here it's out of control. But God says this. Do you know what, how fire lines fail? Who's, anybody know? <laughs> when the wind begins to blow. Do you know why they can't control fires and when they say 0% con contained? And it's because their fire lines are failing because the wind is blowing too strong. God began to blow. <laughs> God began to blow. So I began to research and go into this thing. And, and we talk about harvest. The scripture came up. And you guys all know it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Am I doing Okay. Give me 15 more minutes. Give me the parable of the wheat and tares. Let me just read this, and we're going to go quickly, because I believe God is speaking with this, and I want you guys to see something. What God is changing isn't just our culture to, to being about Jesus and nothing else, but he's re-identifying who we are. We're starting here in Matthew chapter 13 in verse 24. He presented them with another parable. And he said this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, or tares. In some of your transition, we'll say tares. And left. And when the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's service came and to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in their field? Then where did the tares come from? And the master said, an enemy did this. He told them, so do you want us to go and pull them up? And the servant asked, and he says, no. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, tie them bundles, burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. 
This is what I began to learn about these two things. To the non-farmer, to the naked eye, to my eye, knowing the difference between wheat and tares wouldn't be simple. In truth, they look exactly the same. From a distance, and probably for me up close, everything in them, when you see them, except for a farmer, would know, hey, this weed and this, I don't know the difference. What is wheat? Because they look exactly the same until they are fully mature. Everything is the same. I love the scripture here because it gives a tie back to last year. He says, everything is the same until they are uprooted and then they reach the threshing floor. There are two ways to tell what a tear is from a wheat. The first is on the threshing floor. When you bust them open, you know the seeds of wheat and the goodness. If you were to eat a seed from a tear, it would make your stomach nauseous. It would make you sick. You would have severe headaches and a host of other illnesses. Remember that threshing floor. It always starts with a seed. It always starts with a seed. The seed of the wheat is what they ground and they use. They look the same. One brings life, one brings death. They look the same until you open them up to the inside. A couple weeks ago, Brent began to talk about the woman at the well. Jesus went to the well and broke all boxes. I mean, there's no other boxes that, if you want to talk about the most awkward scenarios of breaking boxes is Jesus going to the woman at the well. Number one, she's Samaritan. Jews aren't supposed to talk to Samaritans. Number two, she's a woman. He's not supposed to talk to a woman. And number three, he asked her to give him something. He actually spoke to her. What's so interesting is in this example, he begins to speak about him being the living water. And in the very next sense, when the living water presents himself, she brings up worship. She brings up worship. And in verse 21, Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming. And this is John chapter 4 and verse 21. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And we worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers, the true Worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The living water comes to what? Water a seed. To water a seed. What seed is that? You're the seed. The living water is here to water the seed. So what happens when this happens? When the water and the seed, so much happens, whether it's the wheat or the tear, both begin to grow. But it's at the harvest, it's at the harvest that things begin to change. Right after this, starting in verse 27, Jesus begins to tell them about the harvest. His disciples show up and said, here, you want some food? And he says, I, I don't want to eat. Do you not see that the harvest is ready? He begins to speak about harvest. When the living water shows up, it prepares you for harvest. Water is used to grow both, both tares and wheat grow. The only time you can spot the difference is when they're fully mature. The seeds from the wheat are heavy. 
They're heavy. And the very act, and they act very differently from tares. <laughs> Grab with me real quick. The first way to tell the difference between wheat and tares is when the wind begins to blow, the wheat begin to bend in the direction of the wind and the tares stay straight up. Because the seeds of the wheat are too heavy. Let me, let me, let me say it again because I know it's... <laughs> the tares are more stiff and full of pride that when the wind begins to blow, they stay stiff. <laughs> when the wheat are fully mature, they're so heavy with the seeds that have been planted of purpose and destiny that it doesn't give them pride. They bow down low. Do you want to know the difference between the wheat and the tear? Is that one is drawn to worship in spirit and in truth. What is the truth? That you are a seed planted by your father. <laughs> worship in spirit and truth. Do you want to walk in the full destiny is when you begin to understand that pride and arrogance and unsureness begin to make you a tear in those things and they grow together. And when you allow those areas to be destructive and allow him to come in with his spirit and say, I don't want these anymore, we begin to bend. And we begin to follow the identity of truth that have been spoken over us. Why? Because later on in the scripture, and I'm going quickly now, later on in the scripture, he has to explain this to his disciples, right? And in verse 37, he says this, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out the angels and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness, and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun of the Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears, let them hear. We live in seasons, seasons, seasons. And in those seasons, there are times where when we are getting into these areas, like last year, when God was beginning to stir up things in us, why? It's because we were at harvest inside of our own selves. And in that place, God is saying, those areas that you are bowing low, I'm gonna make them blossom. And those areas that look gross and brokenness and pride and those hurting things, I'm gonna rip them out and begin to burn them. Why? Because I'm gonna fulfill my prophecy at the end of the age where all those things that I've created you to be will be flourished in glorious righteousness and all those things that the enemy has sown in you are going to the place that are weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what is all this? The true and real seeds planted by God, watered by living water, fully grown, bend at the direction of the wind. These seeds will worship <laughs> when the truth of who you are the truth of who you are. I believe God is not just reculturizing us, but he's re-identifying us into sons and daughters. We can say so many times that we're sons and daughters, sons and daughters, but until we get to that place where we understand that we are sons and daughters and not Republicans. 
when we are sons and daughters and not Democrats, when we are sons and daughters and not Christians. I, I'm telling you that there's a re-identification of our identity, that a seed is rising up inside of us that goes beyond the boundaries of what this world has wanted to put around us. And if the church would stop putting more boundaries and fire lines, we could actually influence the very world that we put fire lines to not be a part of. I'm going to conclude. I'll ask the worship team. Maybe I'll just stand up here with them um, to come. Fire comes in seasons to burn things. I believe that God is burning and when we say God set us on fire, sometimes we don't know what we're asking for because it has to burn something. It has to burn something. I want to show this picture. It's going to make you laugh a little bit, but I want to show this picture real quick. I think I sent it back there. Some of you guys have, may have seen this on social media. I don't know about anybody else, but that right there, <laughs> that feels more like my Jesus than someone who's taking the steering wheel. Jesus won't take the steering wheel of your life, but he will take a wheel off because he sees where you're driving. And maybe what you're going through right now is Jesus saying, hold on a second. I just need you to abide for one minute so you can see your identity. You know that thing that is that addiction? That's not who you are. You're my son. You know that job that has got you prestige and that you're at the highest of your profession? That's not who you are. You're my son and my daughter. Sometimes he has to take a wheel, and it's usually the wheel we don't want him to take. Yeah, it usually is that wheel. Sometimes we look at this and we may get upset with God. How many of you have gone through seasons where you're like, God, that's not what I asked you to do. I asked you to make my life better. Just be honest. I've asked you to make my life better. And he says, I am. Yeah, I am. I know you lost the job, but I'm making it better. I, I, know, I know that the pain that you're feeling, that your loved one lost, but I'm, I'm making it better. The blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The fullest expression of our worship that we can give to God I heard Damon Thompson say this. The fullest expression of worship that we can give him is to be who we were designed to be. The biggest thank you that we can give Jesus for what he did on the cross is to be who we were designed to be, which is ultimately just like him. The days of people saying, I want revival, I want revival, getting a touch on their forehead and going home the same are over. So many people say they want Jesus and they'll come up and they'll get their hands laid on and they go home and I'm so tired of them going home the same. 
And I ask God this question. Just stand with me. I ask God this question. Lord, I know your heart is for your people. Lord, how do we break out of the boxes? How do we break out of these boxes that we've created? And he simply said this, put the new wine in the new wineskin and let it ferment a little bit. Let it abide a little bit. Don't make it what you think it should look like. It may be a coach and a football team that in one moment is screaming at referees and in the next moment crying with his players. It may be a mom, a single mom with her kids running around, but she's on her knees at her chair saying, pray with me tonight. It may be a person with their last dime. They have no way of paying any more bills. Their kids can't eat. And someone is so in that place of abiding and not getting distracted and offended at the age of the culture that they hear God say, take them out to dinner. Sometimes, sometimes, it's not the wheel we think it is. Sometimes, it's the very wheel we need it to be. So Lord, this morning, no expectations other than God, take our wheel, begin to burn the tears that are inside of us, that are growing, and allow us to see us through your eyes of the kingdom as your sons and daughters that can ascend into the heavenly places, that you've given us all authority here on this earth, not to be prideful and boastful and better than the world or to be conformed to this world and make your name as equal to things like politics. You're so greater than the politics of the age and so greater than the things of this world that try to make you and bring you into it, God. A time is coming and a time is now where you're so much greater than the issues of the day. You are the issue of the day. You are the very one that can break into our schools and cause kids to burn with love for one another and love for you. Breaking off identities of culture war. Ascending the very boxes that we place ourselves in of blue and green and white and red and black and brown. Ascending the very things of poor and rich. Ascending the very issues of Republican and Democrat and America and the rest of the world. Ascending all those things to understand our identity is first and foremost sons and daughters in a kingdom. Re-identify us today, God. 
Begin that seed inside of us that you've planted and continue to water it to allow it to grow. And that every step of the way, as the spirit moves, we bow lower. We bow lower. That worship isn't an opening act, it is the act. Oh. Worship is the only act. Lord, that we don't have to move on from it to be successful. <laughs> We're successful when we sit at your feet. <laughs> Allow us to be the next chapter in this book. Yeah. I'm going to ask Brent to come. And I also want to just invite you. We always say that these altars are open for prayer. These altars are open. I'm telling you this morning, these altars are open for sons and daughters to come meet with their dad. I, I, I don't think there's anything else that I can try to say than try to massage to say, come and get up to these altars. The hungry ones will be hungry for their father. And as we begin to sing, these altars are open for the hungry ones. We're going to transition to a time of prayer. I'm not going to have the prayer teams come up today. I'm just going to invite you up for just some time with you and Jesus this morning before you leave. If you need to slip out during this time, I just ask that you do so uh, quietly so we don't disturb anyone. If you're headed to the Go Deeper class.